Thank you all. Thank you. We got to get to the preaching. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you all very much. Certainly look forward to being back when Clay gave the invitation to come and preach. So excited, not only being back here at Johnson Ferry, but to have a weekend where I didn't have to go to the airport on Saturday to catch a flight <laughs> to preach in another church somewhere around the country, which is my new rhythm and new week uh, in serving in this role with Sin Relief. And I do want to say this. A lot of you have asked me when I see you in public, how you enjoying retirement? <laughs> well... I retired as your pastor, but I didn't retire from ministry and began to be the president of Sin Relief, which is a ministry about meeting needs, compassion needs, as we see God changing lives. And it's really been exciting to see that happening globally. It's the first time ever that our International Mission Board and our North American Mission Board have had a joint ministry together. And they asked me to lead this and began the first week of COVID, shutting the world down in March of 2020. And as many of you know, I never used a computer, but when you work with the International Mission Board, you have to because of security and things like that. So to spend the first year mostly on Zoom calls was quite an experience, an experience for Ann. She would walk down to the study and see this strange man in front of a computer. Uh, wondered who that was. She had never seen anything like that. So it's been a new dimension of life, but very thankful to be serving in that ministry, continuing to serve with right from the heart and lead occasional trips to Israel and mentoring young pastors, really enjoying a new chapter in ministry. But it sure is good to be back at our home church here at Johnson Ferry and so thankful that Clay has asked me to be a part of this series in Hebrews. And thankful because, you know, after 38 years of preaching in one place, you have a treasure chest of sermons that I use week in and week out with different illustrations. But I have never preached from this text. So I had a usual week like Pastor John Ferry where I had to be in the study a lot of hours this week, a lot of commentary work, a lot of prayer to get ready for this message on a text that really I'm excited to share to you from. So Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 13. If you've been coming for the last few months at John's Ferry and don't know where it is, well, bless your heart. you got a problem. <laughs> but it's near the end of the New Testament to help you out there. And if you get to James and First and Second Peter, you've gone too far. We're going to be looking at Hebrews 13. Clay took us through verses 7 through 14 last week. And we're going to look at verses 15 through 19 and looking at sacrifices of lasting impact. So to honor God, if you're physically able, will you stand now for the reading of God's Word? Through Him, through Jesus then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of lips that give thanks to His name. And do not neglect doing good and sharing for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a good conscience 
desiring to conduct ourselves honorably in all things. And I urge you all the more to do this so that I may be restored to you the sooner. Father, what a privilege to stand in this pulpit. Such joy in being here. Such joy in serving here for so many years. And yet, Lord, I know I have nothing of significance to share, but you have everything of significance to share through your word. And I pray today that you will speak to us from your word. And Holy Spirit, may you convict our hearts and may you give our hearts a desire to be drawn to Jesus, to trust in Jesus, to follow Jesus faithfully and sacrificially. Lord, we pray this prayer in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. When I'm preaching to all these other churches, they rarely stand for the reading of Scripture, so they kind of look at me after the Scripture has been read, and I say, it's okay to be seated. You don't have to stand through the whole sermon. That'd be quite an ordeal. But we're in, we're in a time of the NBA championship playoffs. And it's June. I always just shake my head. Basketball in June, that doesn't make sense, but it's that way every year. And the NBA has a big new star. He's a big man from Eastern Europe, Jokic. Now, a lot of the Eastern Europeans, they, you don't pronounce their names like they're spelled. And this is quite a new star for the NBA. He can't jump six inches off the ground. But he is really good. He can shoot. He can pass. He can rebound. He's really good. It's also the time of the French Open. Some of you are kind of antsy sitting there. It's the championship match today. Is Djokovic going to win? Another Eastern European to have more major championships than anybody else in the history of tennis? We'll find out what happened at Roland Garris later today. But it's also a time of college baseball playoffs. Some teams win, sometimes your team loses. But it's also a time when the Braves are hot as fire. And that's a lot of fun. Now, we like to watch great athletes because we're amazed at their talent, but we also kind of vicariously live through them. Like, gosh, boy, if I could do that. But the fact is, they have spent hours upon hours, week after week, month after month, when we're not looking, practicing their craft. And they have to make a lot of sacrifices along the way from doing a lot of things they like to do to really get good in their particular sport. And it's no different in the world of music. We see a great musician perform, and we're in wonder, and I see a great pianist, think, I would love, I'd give anything to pray like that. No, you wouldn't. Because we don't know the countless hours of sacrifice alone that they've spent practicing and giving up all kinds of other things in life that friends and others are doing to perfect their talent, their gift. You see, sacrifices mean giving up something we would like to do it could be a thing, it could be time, it could be financial resources, but giving up something for a greater good in the long term. 
Now, in the book of Hebrews that Clay has been leading our congregation in, there's a lot of focus on sacrifices, but it's really dealing a lot with Old Testament sacrifices where people would bring grain or usually bringing an animal, the best of their flock, to be sacrificed at the temple, given to the priest, the priest serving as mediators between a holy God and sinful man. It was done often in atonement for their sins. It was done often in gratitude for what God had done. And the book of Hebrews continues to give a contrast between the sacrifices of the old covenant and the ultimate final sacrifice in the new covenant, which is Jesus. And all through the book of Hebrews, as Clay has been leading us in this study, you see that the Old Testament sacrifice was meaningful, but it was really just a foreshadowing of the ultimate sacrifice of Christ shedding his blood on the cross in atonement for our sins, to pay the penalty for our sins, the penalty of God's judgment for sin, which is death. And Christ died in our place so that when we come to trust Christ, we can be forgiven of sin and made right with God, not because we're good enough, but because of what Christ has done. And so all through the book of Hebrews, we see this. You look at the passage that Clay Clay led us in last week, and verses 10 through 13 is really about how Christ was sacrificed outside the gates of the city. And he is not only the ultimate sacrifice, but he is our high priest. Both priest and sacrifice rolled into one. There is no more need for sacrifice. Back in 2011, I went with a group of pastors to Southeast Asia on a mission trip. And our International Mission Board missionaries had lined up some places for us to go in very remote regions. One day was a five-mile hike through the jungle to get to people groups where there were no known Christians of any kind. We were assigned a young man by the government of one of the nations we were in. And and you guys that served in Vietnam, I mean, this is a nation right in that area. And I I just, what y'all went through, the heat and humidity, I've never experienced anything like that. But this young man spoke good English, and the government had assigned him to us. He was not a Christian, but he took us to his home village. There were no Christians in that village. He was not a Christian. And he was taking us all through this village and telling us about his village. And we came to the middle of the village, and there was an open area with a big, wide post about four feet high in the middle of that open area. I said, what is that? He said, that's the sacrificing post. I said, well, tell me about that. What is that? He says, well, once a year we take a bull and we tie it to that post And in order to appease the spirits, we beat that bull to death all night long until it dies. And I looked at him and I said, I have got some good news for you. I said, this is true. The God of the universe who created us all, he sent us his son, Jesus. And Jesus came to die on a sacrificing post to pay the penalty for our sins. And he came to be the final, ultimate sacrifice so that we could be forgiven of our sins and made right with God so that we don't have to make these kind of blood sacrifices to appease the gods anymore. And that young man, his eyes got big. He said, no more sacrificing. I said, no more when you follow Jesus. Well, He couldn't get over that. 
Because you see, them sacrificing a bull in a poor village in Southeast Asia would be like you buying a new Rolls Royce and then coming home and taking a sledgehammer and beating that Rolls Royce to a pulp. I mean, it was that big a sacrifice for those people. So he was excited about knowing that they wouldn't have to do that. And he also hated the screams and the groaning of that bull. He hated it. And he wound up coming to Christ. And the very next day, we were six miles from his village where we were staying. Next morning at breakfast, he shows up with his brother so that we could tell him about this Jesus who died on a sacrificing post. That was pretty cool. In a village where nobody knew Jesus, now a witness for Christ. Now, that's what we see being referred to in this passage beginning in verse 15. In light of the fact that Christ is the ultimate final sacrifice compared to all the Old Testament sacrifice that we've been reading about in this book of Hebrews. So look at verse 15. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of the lips that gives thanks to his name. Now, you don't normally think of words that you're saying being a sacrifice. So why is this the first sacrifice for lasting impact that we look at today? Well, it's a sacrifice of not buying in to the way most everybody talks about everyday living so that you can be a verbal witness for Christ in praising God for what he has done for you and sending his son to die on the cross and rise from the dead so that we could have forgiveness of sin, so we could be made right with God, so we could have eternal life when we come to trust Christ. It means a willingness to sacrifice status, sometimes friendship, sometimes promotions at work, sometimes being rejected by those that you care about in order to praise God and thank God for what he has done for us in the fact that Jesus is the ultimate and final sacrifice. That's what this is about. It's about willing to stand firm as a verbal witness for Christ, even when it's going to cost us something for doing so. But it's also about sacrificing all the complaining and all the criticizing and all the moaning and groaning about how bad things are today. And, you know, they're pretty sorry today. There's no doubt about it. It's pretty sorry. But instead of just getting wrapped up in the world's way of talking about everyday life, we have something greater to share. So we sacrifice a lot of that verbiage to share the love of God, the greatness of God, the wonder of God in the person of Jesus Christ. That's the first sacrifice and includes a lot of thanksgiving. Because when we really know Christ, walking in Christ, there's a lot of gratitude for the blessings of God. And we give him credit for that. But then we go to other sacrifices. Verse 16. And do not neglect doing good and sharing. For such sacrifices, God is pleased. Now, what is doing good? Well, first of all, it is doing good in God's eyes. Now, the dominant mindset in American culture today, and sadly, very often in the American church, is each man doing what is right in their own eyes. And it's amazing how we will get so confused and so lost and, and so off track by doing what is right in our eyes. You see, 
we're willing to sacrifice all that in order to do what is good and right in God's eyes. And how do we know that? Well, we know that through the Word of God. It is God's Word that shows us what is pleasing to God and how to live a good life. It is the living out of Christ's great commandment, loving the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind. But it also is a second part. It is doing good deeds for our fellow man. You're not just living right with God. You're not just sacrificing a lot of things you'd like to do sinfully or selfishly, but you're also willing to give up time and resources to help others, your fellow man. You see, verse 16 talks about doing good, but it talks about being generous. Now, what's interesting is the word for generous here in verse 16 is the Greek word koinonia. It's usually interpreted as fellowship, but it can also mean generosity. I think that's awesome to think about because what's that describing is the church. The church gives us fellowship with other believers, but we're called to be generous in sharing what we have. First of all, with the Lord through our tithes and offerings, but then sharing with others in need. One of the things I just love about serving with Sin Relief is that we're able to serve with churches all around the globe and help them understand that ministries of compassion have a way of opening the door to share the good news of Christ in ways we wouldn't have that opportunity. One of our partners in ministry in the Philippines contacted us about a grant, and we do a ton of grants internationally for building a well in a Muslim village where there was no known Christian, where they had never had clean water there in a remote area of the Philippines. So we gave that grant. He built that well, and within the first year, 40 of those Muslims had come to Christ. Because you see, showing God's love, having compassion, opened the door for him to be able to share what was most important. And I continually remind our staff all around the globe with Sin Relief, look, we're not a humanitarian organization. You can help hurting people feel better on their journey to hell, and you have missed the greatest need in their life. We're all about the gospel. That's what we're all about. And yet through compassion and ministries of compassion, as we share our resources, our time, our love, it opens the door and wins the right to be heard with the gospel. When Hurricane Ian happened in southwest Florida, we had about 20 different state conventions, Baptist State Convention disaster relief teams descend on southwest Florida. And because we always serve through the churches, we set up feeding stations at 10 prominent parking areas at 10 of those churches because these people temporarily had nowhere to go, nothing to eat. They had lost everything. And we were able to serve over 750,000 meals in just the first couple of weeks after that storm as people were just trying to figure out what they were going to do with their life. It was interesting. The governor of Florida and his wife came. She served a full day. And it was also very interesting. Something happened that's never happened before. We got a call from the governor's office after all that, and he asked, he said, how much did y'all spend on feeding all those Floridians? We said, well, about a half a million dollars for food to help them out. Well, about a week or two later, we got a check from the state of Florida for a half a million dollars and said, thank you for helping the people of Florida. I thought, wow, now that is unusual. <laughs> no strings attached. Just thank you. Now use your funds to help somebody else in need. That's pretty cool. Well, what you see here in verse 16 is that we're willing to make sacrifices of our time, of selfish things we'd like to do to please God. 
We make sacrifice of our financial resources in giving to the work of ministry, giving to the Lord, but also giving to others in need. Maybe a family here at Johns Ferry looking to adopt. It costs mega thousands of dollars. You might be led to help that family. There could be a family you know of in Johnson Ferry that's out of work or a neighbor you know that's not a Christian out of work and you can sacrifice some of your financial resources to help that person in need. That's really what this verse is talking about, the sacrifice of doing good and being generous, generous for a lasting impact. Let's come to another sacrifice. Oh, this is a tough one. Here we go. Verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Now, when Clay was going through verses 7 through 14, he took you through verse 7, and this is what it says of chapter 13. Remember those who led you, those in the past who led you, who spoke, past tense, the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Now, he was talking about remembering those who have led you in the past and, and talked about how all of us, when we come to Christ, we begin to grow in Christ, how thankful we are for those folks who teach us and disciple us in the Word of God in meeting that great need in our heart and life of how to follow Jesus and how to stay in the will of God. And how thankful we are for those spiritual leaders who really seek to live a Christ-like life. We're thankful for that. That's past tense. Verse 17 is how to respond to your present spiritual leaders. To obey and submit to them. Well, that's first of all, Clay, our pastor. It's the elders of Johnson Ferry. Clay and six godly laymen serving in that role. It's your ministerial staff that have big responsibilities of serving and leading key ministries. It's those who teach the Word of God in your connect groups and you're fed in the Word of God. The Bible is saying a sacrifice needs to be made of self-will to obey and submit to your leadership. Now, this is antithetical to the average American Christian because we don't want to submit to anybody. I mean, the American culture is so individualistic. This idea of submission is an anathema to a lot of folks. But a big part of Christianity involves submission in a lot of places. A child living in the home or still financially dependent on their parents is called to obey their parents. A wife is called to submit to her husband. We are all called to submit to government authorities. Those of you who served in the military know you have to submit and obey your commanding officer. We're called to submit to teachers, to coaches. We're called to submit to our supervisors, our employers. We have to answer to them. We're called to submit, and part of living a Christ-like life is a voluntary submission. But I know what some of you are thinking. But what about all those sorry spiritual leaders that fall into immorality? that abuse their position of leadership, that take advantage of people through greed and uh, seeking to build up their own status. What about all that? Well, that is a problem. We're going to come to that in just a second. But God's Word gives us some key reasons why we are to submit to our spiritual leaders like Clay, like the elders, like the ministerial staff and others in leadership here. First of all, to remember, they keep watch over our souls. 
Now, if you served in the military, you know a watchman has a very important role because they are to stay alert in case the enemy is coming or case danger happens. Something is to threaten those that you're called to guard. It is a very important role. And the watchman cannot fall asleep or fall down on the job. A security guard can't do it. I mean, I, I, we have the image and make fun of security guards that are dozing in their ropes. Obviously, that's sorry as hang. That's not what they're supposed to do. But they're called to be a watchman in fulfilling that particular role. Well, that is the responsibility your pastor has. And it is a 24-7 responsibility. It never stops. You have a day off, you go on vacation, you have family activities you're engaged in, it's still weighing on you. That you're a watchman of the souls of the people of Johnson Ferry or whatever church or ministry you lead. And you have to answer to God for the spiritual welfare and health of those entrusted to your leadership. Folks, that is a weight. It is a weight. It's hard to describe that weight to you. You can't completely understand it until you sit in the seat, but it is, it is a weight. But it also goes on to tell us that they're not only watchmen of our souls, protecting us from false doctrine, protecting us and warning us about the dangers of sin, watching over the needs in our lives, but it says, let them do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable to you. In other words, when we willingly submit to our spiritual leaders, then it brings them great joy versus great grief. Now, think about the contrast here. In a healthy church where people submit to their pastor and spiritual leaders, in that kind of church, it brings great joy to the spiritual leaders in that church. And it brings them great joy when the people are in the will of God, living the will of God, coming to Christ, leading others to Christ, going on mission trips, sharing the good news, fulfilling Christ's great commission all around the world. It gives you great joy, tremendous joy. But when people are contentious, when people are critical, when people are angry, when people are selfish, it is such grief you feel, such discouragement you feel. Now, most of you don't. I never used a computer when I was your pastor. I never did. So I never got emails. Now, can you imagine all the criticism I avoided by never getting emails? Think about it. Ignorance was bliss. But I got some of your letters, angry letters, critical letters. And I, I do know this. I don't know what it is about our sinful nature, about the way the devil discourages us so, but you can have a wonderful worship see God moving, get 10 great cards of encouragement, get one letter or email criticizing you, and it just, it crushes your heart. When you love folks and seeking to serve folks, it just crushes your heart. And that's what's being talked about here. You know, in the colonial culture, they didn't use the term depression when people battle depression. They called it the minister's disease. That's what it was called. That may sound funny to you, but it really, it's the reminder of the burden of being a pastor when you're desiring for people to come to Christ, and so few do, when you're desiring for people to get off the pews and start serving the Lord and growing in Christ, and so many do not ever get around to it. It describes the burden you have when people fall away from God. 
that you poured your life into and seeing them growing in the past and now no longer around. It's the grief of seeing people suffer and being with them when a loved one dies and when sickness is crushing the spirits and their life. It's just on and on. And there's a lot of discouragement any pastor or spiritual leader that loves folks is going to face. So as you, as a body of Christ, Bless me as your pastor for so many years with so much joy. May we do that with Clay and our elders and our ministerial staff in the present. For this is a sacrifice of self-will and the way you might want things to be done in order to follow the will of God. Because verse 17 closes, look at what it says. Let them do this with joy, not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Why is that? Well, I'll tell you this. A joyful pastor is a lot better for you than a discouraged and depressed and defeated pastor who is constantly dealing with your criticism and your rejection and all kinds of negative concerns. It ain't good for you. It only hurts you in not being willing to submit to our pastor, our elders, our ministers who lead us in different ministries. Let us live this out. Now, that leads to verse 18 on another thing that seems kind of unusual to talk about from a sacrifice standpoint. That's a sacrifice of self-will in verse 17. But look at what verse 18 says. Pray for us. For we are sure that we have a good conscience, desiring ourselves to live honorably in all things. And I urge you all the more to do this, that I may be restored to you. Obviously, the writer of Hebrews, we don't know who it is. But the writer of Hebrews has been separated from these Jewish Christians as he has been with them before. He wants to come back and be with them again. He may be in prison for his faith. We don't know. But he asks for their prayer. So this is another sacrifice. You say, how is prayer a sacrifice? We are to sacrifice personal time where we would like to be looking at the newspaper, looking at the television, doing what we want to do, play this sport, spend this there, watch our email, whatever it may be. We sacrifice those things to pray for the spiritual leaders of Johnson Ferry and to pray for those who are spiritual leaders in ministries that you serve in, to spend personal time that you could be doing something else with by regularly praying for them. And here's the thing to remember. Keep your finger there and turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. Just a couple of books over. Turn to 1 Peter 5, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 3 of 1 Peter. He says in 1 Peter 5, Therefore I exhort, I encourage the elders among you, as your fellow elder, this is the apostle Peter saying this, he's an early elder in the church and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ he was there when Christ died on the cross and a partaker of the glory that is to be revealed he saw Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration with that preview of the resurrected body he saw Christ after Christ rose from the dead he's a witness to all of that so what does he say to his fellow elders shepherd the flock of God among you exercising oversight not under compulsion but voluntarily according to the will of God and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet is lording it over those allied to your charge, but proving to be examples of the flock. Folks, as you pray for Clay, 
as you pray for your seven elders, as you pray for your ministerial staff, as you pray for your Bible teachers, this is what you want to be praying for. You want to pray, first of all, that they will be faithful shepherds of the flock entrusted to them. Now, how many shepherds in the room? How many shepherds in East Cobb? You ever seen one? I've never seen one here in East Cobb. But you go to Israel, you go to different parts of the world, you see shepherds. What does a shepherd do? They care for the sheep. They feed the sheep. They protect the sheep. They watch over the sheep. They guide the sheep. Well, what does that say about how to pray for your spiritual leaders? That they will shepherd the flock in the will of God, protecting you from false doctrine, meeting your needs by feeding you the word of God, guiding you and directing you in what it means to be a follower and disciple of Christ, protecting you from evil and the dangers of sin. I mean, that's how you pray for those that God has called to be our leaders. But not only that, it talks about the spirit in which they lead. They're to exercise oversight, to be willing to do that voluntarily according to the will of God. And it goes on in verse 3, not lording it over. We've all seen dictatorial, authoritarian rulers or leaders in the church that, that abuse that, those under their charge that take advantage. It talks about don't do it for sordid gain. That's for greediness. Don't do it for status. Don't do it for financial gain. Don't have that kind of motivation. But instead, you exercise oversight. You're caring for the needs of the body. You're doing this with a Christ-like spirit. You do it as a servant leader like Christ. That's how you pray for clay, for your elders, for your ministers, for spiritual leaders all throughout the body of Christ here at Johnson Ferry. And that involves a sacrifice of time to regularly pray that our spiritual leaders will lead in the way that Christ is guiding them to do so. And to do all that, that means you pray for your spiritual leaders most of all to stay close to Christ, to be one with Christ. I want to share a personal word here. When God was leading me to hand off Johnson Ferry to a younger man, I shared three things with the search committee that I asked them to keep in mind. And one of these might have been with the two co-chairmen, not the whole committee. But I said, y'all, most of all, I'm praying for a Jesus man to be the successor here. A man who's all about lifting up Jesus pointing people to Jesus, leading people to Jesus, glorifying Jesus. And I'm praying for a man who preaches and teaches the Word of God unapologetically. And I'm praying for a cultural fit for the culture of Johnson Ferry, especially in connecting with the millennial and Gen Z generations that have come on the scene. Y'all, I cannot tell you how grateful I am how God has answered that prayer with Clay's leadership. He's a Jesus man. He loves the Lord. Every time I hear Clay preach on those few moments that I can join you for worship when I'm not preaching somewhere, 
He is always preaching the Word of God. Do you realize, do you realize how many churches in this land are just longing for their pastor to preach and teach the Word of God? Do you realize the people that leave empty Sunday after Sunday because the Word of God has not been preached and taught? You don't have to worry about that with Clay. And he is definitely a cultural fit in the sense that he understands this culture and you can connect with him and especially those of you who are millennials in Gen Z. But what about the baby boomers? <laughs> like me. Johnson Ferry is in a time of transition of leadership to the next generation. And it's not just your senior pastor, but Mark has just retired. A lot of our long-tenured staff has retired. I just want to say a personal word to all of my generation. Believe the Word of God. Verse 17 is the verse for you today. God has called Clay as our pastor and called a Jesus man who loves and preaches the Word of God and is connecting with the generations to come. And that is an incredible answer to prayer. So here's what boomers can do. You can pray for your pastor. And you can pray that he will be God's man in serving this body. And as you pray for him, you pray that you'll be willing to follow his lead because he is the man that God has called to lead this church into the future. And you seek to be a mentor to all kind of people in the next generations where you're serving in ministry. Because they need your example, and they need your example of service. They need your example of loving the Lord. You seek to mentor younger adults. Because I'm sorry to tell you this, boomers, you ain't got a whole lot of time left. (laughs) And the worst thing you could do is miss out on the opportunity of mentoring younger adults of the next generation to understand what it means to love the Lord and follow Jesus and serve in ministry. What could be a greater gift that you give to the Lord than that kind of sacrifice? Because you see, in a transitional day of generational leadership, those who have been in leadership have to be willing to give up leadership and doing things as they've always been done in order to fulfill the mission that Christ has given his church. And what a privilege, boomers, that we can pray for Clay and pray for our elders and we can, we can seek to be a mentor to all kind of people we know that are serving in ministries where we serve. And we can seek to love these folks and encourage these folks of the next generation that God is calling to be our leaders. What a gift we give to Johnson Ferry when we do that. So you see, the book of Hebrews, all about old covenant sacrifice, pointing us to the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus, who is the final ultimate sacrifice to give us the way to be right with God because of what he has done for us on the cross. 
as we move into the conclusion of this great book, God says, look, the Christian life is a lot about sacrifice for lasting impact. Sacrifice of words as we focus on praising and thanking God. Sacrifice through doing good deeds and giving generously to the work of ministry and to people who are hurting and people in need. Sacrifice of what we want to submit to our spiritual leaders as they seek to lead us in God's will and fulfilling his mission for ministry. And the sacrifice of time in prayer, praying for our spiritual leaders. Oh, my. What a blessing the boomer generation can be to the leaders that God has led to lead us in the next generation. Oh, Johnson Ferry, may we live sacrificial lives of lasting impact. Let's pray. Father God, some of these folks were glad to have me back to preach today. Now they're not sure. But Father, it is your word that speaks to all of us. And Father, I pray first of all for the followers of Christ. There's a ton of them here in this room. There's a ton of them in the activity center. I pray that we will be willing to live sacrificial lives to follow Jesus, to follow your word and the teaching you give us. Father, there are a ton of folks in this room in the sanctuary just eat up with churchianity versus following Jesus. It's the same in the activity center. I pray that those folks and others who know they're not a Christian will come to you today and say, oh, Lord, forgive me. I've been trying to do things the way I feel is best, the way I feel is right, rather than what you say is right. Lord, I now want to follow Jesus. I want to trust Christ. And I'm even willing to live this sacrificial life. Oh, Lord, what joy there is when people come to Christ. When people begin to grow in Christ. Lord, I pray that all of us will be willing to set aside personal preference to do your will and to fulfill your mission as you have given your church. And Father, we know this will not only bring great joy to the spiritual leaders that you've led us to have here, but we know it'll be good for us, good for us as we sacrifice for you. Oh, Lord, may it be, for we pray this in Christ's name.